Not too long ago, the father asked me a question. He said, why do you think you're having success at what you put your hand to? And what he's showing me, what he did show me was that I had intentionally, unintentionally tapped into a principle in the kingdom that I didn't have a lot of revelation on. And that was God is moving here. He told me because my wife and I have learned to give honor due to the overseers of this house that's owed to them. A lot of people think that God just does what he wants to do when he wants to do it. He actually has set up principles in scripture. And one of them is, I have never seen anyone truly go very far in the kingdom that does not know how to submit to someone else. And so God highlighted this book called Undercover to me by John Bevere. And I was in the shower one morning and uh, the father said, you're going to read it, but you're not going to teach it. Jesse Flowers is. And I said, okay. And so I walked into staff and I was holding the book in my hand. And that day I haven't told Jesse anything. And she looked at me and she says, that book changed my life. And I said, I'm glad you think that because you're going to teach it to the whole church. <laughs> that's, how, that's how it happened, isn't it? And so she's already taught this to the staff. The revelation today is uh, so exciting because it is the foundation upon how God operates. Authority and structure is just something that's very dear to the Father. And when I read John Bevere's book, Undercover, I said, this is going to be a staple of just how we operate here. And so I just cannot be more excited today. If you could, would you extend your hands towards Jesse? And let's just pray for her that the Holy Spirit would just take her tongue. This morning was absolutely amazing. And I, I just pray, Jesse, specifically for you, that I just see that this is actually a global message. And that what you're sharing here is not just intended for this house, but to get into a lot of places that desperately need the structure of how heaven sees things. May you be brave, may you be courageous, and may you say whatever it is that God wants you to say in Jesus' name. Amen. It's truly an honor to be here with you guys. It really is. I'm excited about what the Lord is saying and what he's doing all around us. It's funny... I am up here some. It was my amazing husband here up on the stage a moment ago. He's wonderful, um, and I, I'm so blessed to have him. But you probably see me up here sometimes with worship, but it's amazing being in this different context, the things that I think about have been going through in my head. And so one of those things was getting in here early to put on this microphone and just do all kinds of crazy stuff and see what happened, one of which being going loud, quiet. Chris, this is what happens if I'm loud, and this is what happens if I'm quiet. And I immediately found myself thinking of our daughter. My husband and I have a, a one-and-a-half-year-old, and she. we were trying to teach her the difference between loud and quiet, but for obvious reasons. We would go into places, and she would choose loud, and we really wanted quiet. So we, would, we found ourselves, the only way we knew to teach her was to go, loud, quiet, loud, quiet. And so just the other day, we were trying to help her be quiet. We were going, let's be quiet. Okay, we're trying to be quiet. And, and we, so John and I would go, quiet. And she would go, loud. <laughs> and we would go, no, quiet. She'd go, loud. <laughs> so she thought it was a game. It was really funny. But I found myself there. It's amazing the thing that the journeys that the Lord takes us on, finding myself as a mother and I had no idea any of this was coming to me at age 18. What I did know is that I had just exited 
a period of time where I was really in, in strong rebellion against the Lord. I was mad at him for several reasons. And I came out of that season and found myself just really at a posture of, okay, I surrender to you. I want to follow you. And I heard him say, okay, wait a year to go to college and I want you to do this ministry internship. So I brought it to my parents. We prayed through it. They blessed it. And I waited a year to attend college and found myself submerged for about 10 months in the word and in all kinds of lessons. And honestly, I had no idea what I was in for. It's amazing when we take a repentant place where we're in this place of complete rebellion. We say, Lord, I want all of you. I want to know you. It's amazing the things that the Lord begins to put his finger on in our hearts. It says, this is what I look like. And, and this is what you look like right now. Maybe that needs to change. So one primary way that the Lord worked that transformation in me was through this book, Undercover by John Bevere. That was one of our first assignments. I was handed it in about 2003, 2004. It's about 13 years ago. And what I found is we read this book, we went through the videos, but I had no idea what I was in for but with practical application of this book. And it handles just what Chad was talking about. How do we handle authority? So I found myself throughout that year, I'll just take you on a little journey through a few stories. I, I remember one particular day and one of the, one of my close friends who had been through the internship in the past year was now an authority over us who were currently in it. You know, we were somewhat like freshmen and he was a sophomore and he had this authority over us. And he looked me in the eye one day and asked me to clean a kitchen that I hadn't made the mess in. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, this isn't justice. I didn't make the mess. And so I looked at him. I said, no, you clean it. And I drove away. I was in my car. I remember passenger seat, looked at him. No, you clean it. Drove away. Obviously had a long way to go. This was after we read the book. Okay. I one day was asked, charged by authorities over the internship to clean a garage. And I found this tarp with some baby mice. The, the part in me that was so upset at the thought of relocating these baby mice and any risk on their life, instead of handling myself in such a way as to not do that part and continue the job, I went to my authorities and said, this is terrible, I refuse to do this, and left. Obviously, I had a long way to go. So I, I started to see the, myself swing that pendulum from rebellion into complete legalism with it. So I, we, we drove across this bridge every day on our way home, and one of my friends would drive her car. And we had this bridge. The speed limit was 15, maybe 10 miles an hour, really slow. And I remember that I felt that it was my job to enforce that she submit to the governing authorities, which was that speed limit. So I would, we would get across. I'd say, you're not going the speed limit. You need to slow down. You're dishonoring. And she... She would put her foot on that brake, and she'd just look at me. We'd go even slower than the speed limit across that bridge, which seemed like an eternity. I mean, just going one-way bridge. I mean, not a whole lot going on. We'd get to the end of it. She'd go, you happy? I mean, this happened a lot. You happy? And so I found myself 
in a place at 18 longing to understand. And single-handedly, the Lord began to work in my heart. And he's continued to do that for 13 years in his kindness. I mean, how many of us know how kind our father is? How eager he is to come and jump into our lives when we welcome him. How graceful he is with our errors. When, when, we're, when we're open. He's so present here right now. We're given the Holy Spirit that promises to teach us and to remind us of the things of Jesus, to help us to walk in our salvation. And that spirit is here right now. So my prayer as we get into this content is that your eyes would be open, your ears would be open, and that the very word of God would come and divide because everything in our journey of working on our salvation is a continual process of transformation, a continual process of alignment, of keeping in step with the spirit. One specific scripture that has been coming to me a lot lately is in Romans 13, and we start in verse 11, actually. And it says, put off the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. It continues to say, put on the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for your flesh to gratify its evil desires. Another version says, clothe yourself in the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for your flesh. And so I began to think of that throughout my life, throughout my journey where there's been so many things that have not quite lined up with his heart, that he's so faithful and he longs for us to be clothed from head to toe with no flesh exposed, fully shed of any deeds of darkness and fully armed with light. So we're all learning in here. Let's learn together. Let's journey together through the scripture. This past week, we, we had Easter, right? And Chad spoke an amazing message about the militaristic power of our king in sending specifically the strategy of sending Jesus to die, to be buried, and to resurrect for one purpose, to destroy the works of the evil one. And in the same coin, Chad was feeling that this place, this house, is is meant to be a training center, a military training center, where we too partner with him in destroying the works of the evil one, which is awesome. Are you guys ready for that? So what does it look like to be trained? What does it look like to be in the army of the Lord? We teach our kids so much. I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. I'm in the Lord's army. You guys know that song? So we know that concept, but do we really know how the Lord's army works? The protocol that we choose into, the armor that we choose into, the posture that we choose into. So let's take a look at Joel 2. You may want to grab your Bible, keep it with you this morning. We're going to go through a lot of of scriptures and let it begin to transform us. Joel 2, chapter 2, verse 7. The Israelites had just been a place with 
in a place where they'd experienced a locust plague. The prophet is coming to warn them about the attack of the Lord that is, is planned against them if they don't repent. It was a place, the plagues had come, they had, the locusts had come because their posture of their heart was not right with the Lord. And so here the prophet warns about the army of the Lord. It says, the attackers march like soldiers and scale city walls like soldiers. Straight forward they march, never breaking rank. They never jostle each other. Each moves in exactly the right position. They break through defenses without missing a step. They swarm over the city and run along its walls. They enter all the houses, climbing like thieves through the windows. The earth quakes as they advance and the heavens tremble. The sun and moon grow dark and the stars no longer shine. The Lord is at the head of the column. He leads them with a shout. This is his mighty army, and they follow his orders. The day of the Lord is an awesome, terrible thing. Who can possibly survive? And then the Israelites receive this call in the next verse. That is why the Lord says, turn to me now while there's time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Don't tear your clothes in your grief but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish. So that's our God. That's our Lord that clothes us, that longs to provide, to protect, but is also powerful, strategic, and in command. So it's kind of, it's been kind of a funny thing because the Lord has been continually speaking to me in military terms and I have no experience with the military. So I found some people that I know that do and the specific term that I've been hearing from them on is the term fall in because it's what I keep hearing the spirit say, fall in. And if you know anything about the military, you've seen movies, the officers yell, fall in. And basically the soldier's job in that moment is to leave whatever they're doing, whether they're in their barracks, whatever they're doing, drop it and, and get into formation, which is a, a, a set of lines called file and rank. And there are many reasons why they do this sort of training. But all of them are in preparation for victory when the time comes in preparation for protection when the time comes, in preparation for provision when the time comes. In the same way, we are being trained by the Lord for a move of God. And it's imperative that we learn rank and file, that we learn to hear the Lord's voice, say, fall in, and that we do it. It's for our protection, it's for our provision, and it's so that that same declaration, you've never lost a battle, can be true because we're fighting his fight that he's already won the way that he wants it fought. So how do we do this? And that is a journey, but let's first read it Romans 13, starting in the beginning of the chapter instead of the end, which is what we just read. Romans 13 is a beautiful picture where we get to see a sneaky part of this authority structure. 
which is that God chose in his sovereignty not to just be the authoritarian, not to just have all authority to himself, but he chose on the earth to package his authority in flawed humans, in those that know him and in those that don't, in those that handle his authority well and in those that won't. But our task is right here in Romans 13, is how do we respond to his authority in people? It says, everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and they will be punished. There are so many absolutes in the scripture. Everyone must submit to governing authorities. For all authority comes from God. And everyone who's placed there has been placed there by God. And anyone who rebels against that authority rebels against what God has instituted. There are no outs. It's not believers, unbelievers. It's everybody. We get to see in this scripture a principle, a protocol that the Lord has chosen to institute. And there is reward or there is opposition depending upon our response. So we want to know as a military training center how to win. And that's to do it his way. That's the only way. So let's travel through some scripture and see what doing it his way looks like. Let's start even in Exodus. So the law came down from Sinai and this was part of it. Let's look at Exodus 22. You must not dishonor God or curse any of your rulers. Started way back, full council of scripture. You must not dishonor God or curse any of your rulers. Then let's look at David, 1 Samuel 26. We've talked some about Daniel in these past weeks. And we, we, one specific message talked about the passage where David just cut the piece of the cloak off. Do you guys remember that? but he didn't kill Saul. David had been hiding because Saul was the appointed king. And David had been anointed king from the field. Do we recall this? But he had not yet been appointed king. And so we see what happens is that Saul becomes very jealous of the way the population is treating David and not him. So he starts to hunt him down with armies. And so David is in hiding. And continually presented with an option, like we see with the cloak scripture, to kill him. So this is a second option. This is after that's happened. Saul's army has come in. David has heard about it. They're coming after him. He sends some spies to look, and he decides to actually go into the camp with Abishai here to see what's going on. So David and Abishai went right into Saul's camp and found him asleep with his spear stuck in the ground beside his head. Abner and the other soldiers were lying asleep around him. God has surely handed your enemy over to you this time, Abishai whispered to David. Let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't need to strike twice. How many of us would think this way? These are, I mean, these are warriors. 
And there's an enemy that's been single-handedly hunting down David. They walk into the camp and everyone's asleep. Saul himself is asleep with a spear beside his head. So Abishai goes, what we probably would all do in our flesh, oh, he's giving it to you. Let me just strike him once. I got this. And David says, next verse, no, David said, exclamation point. Don't kill him. For who can remain innocent after attacking the Lord's anointed one? Surely the Lord will strike Saul down someday or he will die of old age or in battle. The Lord forbid that I should kill the one he has anointed. But take his spear and that jug of water beside his head and then let's get out of here. And the reason he did that is he had a specific purpose. Later he confronts Saul again and says, see, I spared your life. And Saul actually for a moment repents and commends him and blesses him. He receives a temporary reward and, and, and Saul says, you will do so many heroic deeds, David, and you will succeed. Then later that changes. But what David did know was that his call was to honor the Lord's anointed and to leave it to him God, who had implanted that authority in Saul to deal with Saul, to deal with Saul's mishandling of that authority, and that it wasn't David's job to get himself from an anointing to appointing. It was the Lord's job to get him there. So he waited, and he continually passed up opportunity, test after test. We see Jesus, who's our perfect example. And throughout scripture, there's even in Matthew 7, Jesus is commended for an authority. It says he teaches like a rabbi, not like the rabbis we know, but as one with authority. And that's this word, exousia. Let's pull pull that up. It's delegated empowerment operating in a designated jurisdiction. So Jesus had this delegated authority and he handled it well. He handled it so well. He said, I only do what my father says do. I only say what my father says say. He submitted fully. So to understand this kind of submission, we need to look at the word and actually what the word means when it says everyone submit to governing authorities. And that word for submit is the word hupotasso in the Greek. We're going to pull that up. And it means to place or to rank under, to put myself under subjection, to place or to rank under. Hypo, which is hupo in just a different conjugation, means under, and tasso means arrange, under God's arrangement. So here we see it. Guys, that God has chosen to arrange it where not only his authority is in him, but his authority is in man. And we're asked everyone to submit, to rank under, to fall in under governing authorities. One specific man in scripture who understood this well is in Matthew 8, and it's the centurion. Let's read that from Matthew 8. 
When Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. But the officer said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to those who were following them, he said, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And then it goes down to verse 13 and it says, then Jesus said to the Roman officer, go back home. Because you have believed, it has happened. And the young servant was healed that very hour. So what we see in the centurion is one thing. He understood authority. And what Jesus saw was one specific thing that he commended, which was faith. So where does that leave us? The centurion said, I'm under authority. I'm in authority. And I recognize your authority. And I'm not worthy. It echoes John the Baptist who said, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. He recognized and put himself in rank under the Lord and said, if I can say go and they go, you can, you surely can. Because he recognized authority. So I put before you that if we struggle with authority, we struggle with God. If we struggle with trusting authority, we struggle with trusting God because they are one and the same. It is an appointed, designated jurisdiction that the Lord has saw fit to give. And if we struggle with trust with God, we struggle with unbelief. And unbelief is the same as witchcraft. Which means that we get into a different kingdom and we start to serve a different king. And in that place, we cannot say that we are advancing the kingdom of the Lord if we refuse to be subject to the king who owns the kingdom. So what does this mean for us? How do we handle the president of the United States? How do we handle the past presidents, the future presidents? How do we handle the governors, the mayors, the police officers in our city? How do we handle ourselves when we're pulled over? And it's not just how do we handle ourselves externally. When I say these words, I want you to think about how you handle yourself internally because God sees the motives of the heart. How do you handle your workplace, your employers, if they're good, if they're bad? If they tell you to do something that you disagree with, not that is blatant sin. If we're told to do something that is blatant sin, then our posture is to still submit, to honor the authority, to say, I recognize that you're in the authority, you get to make that call, but I'm not going to obey that because I have a greater authority in Christ and he says no to that. So I'm not going to obey you, but I'm still going to honor you. We are told in our culture, everywhere you look, 
that dishonor is acceptable. We're told on Facebook, everywhere you look, that dishonor is acceptable. But what begins to be unacceptable is when we choose out of God's arrangement, our witness to people becomes defiled. We actually choose out of God's arrangement and into another kingdom, but we claim the king. And the witness does not advance the kingdom anymore. It advances the darkness. So we have to be serious. We have to be warriors. We have to be submission, in submission and willing to be trained by the one commander who leads his army with a shout and that people follow his orders. And even if we have no idea why, the authority that we see in our life has been put there. We choose in faith to trust that God knows. And we choose in faith to believe that any mishandling of that authority will be handled by the one who gave the authority. In specific instances, we see where there is extreme abuse or situations like that of sin, extreme danger. I don't want to bring those into this conversation because there are some times when people, when women need to leave their house, there are things that happen there. There are exceptions, but I will tell you that in terms of submission, there are no exceptions. Submission is not the same as obedience. And submission is never an act of sin unless it's submission to something God is not asking you to submit to. Which looks like, if it's that, it's actually choosing out of submission and then you're submitting to darkness. Does that make sense? It's hard because we've seen so many other examples. How do we handle our church how do we handle our churches in the city? How do we handle other leaders of churches in the city? Maybe even ones we've felt hurt by. How do we internally handle it? How do we speak about it? How do we handle vision here at Bridgeway, leadership here at Bridgeway? Ask yourself the question. One specific place that's even closer to my heart is at home. How do we handle authority at home? Children, submit to your parents, honor your father and mother, that it may go well with you, that you'll have long life on the earth. There's a reward to your honor. There is also cost to not following that. In the same token, we see a picture in Ephesians 5 of how wives and husbands should work. Let's look inside Ephesians 5 for a moment. It says, and further, submit to one another, verse 21, out of reverence for Christ. It's the same word, hupotasso rank under, fall in. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. I wouldn't pull the scripture out if it wasn't a specific one that God has targeted my heart with. It's not exactly the easiest one to bring up. But what the Lord began to show me in the scripture, apart from this message, a couple of, a couple of months ago, it's fresh, was that he said, read that again. I said, submit, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And I understood the process of thought of submission, but, but God began to ask me some targeted questions in my heart. He said, Jesse, do you respond to me the same way you do to John? Do you treat John the same way you do me? Do you respond to John's ideas the same way you do with mine? Do you listen to John the same way you listen to me? Do you treat John's methods the same way you treat my methods? And I I, I looked at the Lord in my heart, the eyes of my heart, and I had to say, not at all. Not at all. But I come to you because I want to. And you're kind. You're compassionate, Lord. And I want to get this. And in the same token, husbands are then called to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And it's just this continual cycle. And we see that neither one is called to lord anything over anybody. It's actually a cycle of who can get the lowest, lowest, humblest, serving the most. And that is love. That's love. That's why we're called to submit to one another, even as believers, out of reverence for Christ. Because that's how we begin to love one another. And what I will say is there's so many ways that we as... (laughs) with a tendency towards rebellion and we is chiefly me here i have i have battled and battled a, a tendency to wander and to rebel and i have found that god has tightened his goads on me he's tightened the path and i've grown to love it so that i give it off a little bit it hurts in a good way in my heart and so let's let it hurt when we find ourselves calling our destinies a reason to dishonor. Let's let it hurt when we begin to get selfish about our own purpose. Let's let it hurt because it's not the kingdom. It's actually selfish ambition. And where selfish ambition and envy exist, so does disorder and every other evil thing. Because it's not from the camp of the king. It's in the camp of the enemy. So let's let it hurt if we get off the path and choose alignment, choose submission, even when we don't understand. Let's conclude with James 4. Let's look at that and I'll wrap up. James 4, verse 6 says, The Lord gives grace. And I've studied out these words. 
And inside that word grace, it means he leans in with the full intent to bless. He gives grace to the humble. And humble is the idea of being completely God-reliant. Completely lowly, inner lowliness. The posture of our heart is completely God-reliant. But that he opposes, God opposes, that word for oppose is a military, intense opposition. It was actually a military term that was used for a specific battle array formation. It hearkens to Joel 2, that army that follows his command that Israel was warned against. He opposes the proud. And the word proud there just means being anything more than what God directs. So if the Lord is at the head of the column and he's commanding our army, when we choose not to fall in, but we choose to move out, we actually welcome the armed forces of the Lord against us. We can't afford to welcome the armed forces of the Lord against the move of God that he's bringing to the city. We cannot afford to let our selfishness or our opinions to cause us to break rank when we have a war to win. We cannot afford for our witness to be defiled by our own rebellion. But what we do have is a gracious God who says in the next verse, submit yourselves therefore to God. Fall in. And then what happens is we begin to resist, and that word is a still a military opposition. Resist the devil, and he flees. We're guaranteed victory in the place of submission. It's not even a fight. The devil flees for safety from us. Why? Because we've come into the army of the Lord where the commander is the Lord and he gives this shout and they follow his orders and they never break, break and they never jostle one another and they scale over cities like walls. And they scale over cities like warriors and they break through walls without missing a step. That's the army of the Lord and the enemy is terrified. So let's stand in this place. It's time to lace up our boots and fall in. It's not an option in the kingdom. In order to carry the name and the authority of the Lord Jesus, we must be subject to the king. And the king has chosen to deposit his authority in people and to reward or punish accordingly to how we operate and handle that authority. So this response brings either his immense grace or his strategic opposition. Let's choose in to his grace. Let's come and rend our hearts, not our garments. For the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love. He's eager to relent and not to punish. So I'd like the prayer servants to come up. Because this message, if you're anything like me for the past 13 years, can hit on some wounded places in your heart. But there is no condemnation now in Christ Jesus 
We are welcomed into the open arms of a loving father who longs for us to turn, who longs for us to submit to him. So come up here and have these people pray with you to join in your act of repentance, your act of turning. If you're sick in your body and it's nothing to do with this message, come forward. They want to pray with you. But let us embrace what it means to be transformed, to daily work out our salvation, to daily keep in step with the Spirit, to daily be clothed in the fullness of Christ Jesus and not make provision, forethought, planning for our flesh to be okay. So let's stand together. We're going to pray just that. Father, I thank you. Put your hands out for me. We're just gonna, I'm just going to bless you as you process this. We thank you that you're trustworthy and that you're faithful, that you're kind. You're so faithful. We put our trust in you as a house. We put our trust in you that you choose to do things the way you do them for a reason. And we choose to enter your army humbly and to fall in with you. Will you bless everyone here with eyes to see and ears to hear just what your spirit is saying? Come and cause to grow seeds that you have planted in their hearts, that they would reap a mighty harvest of righteousness in their lives. I thank you for peace to cover them, for them to feel so connected with your voice as they process this, as they walk through obedience in this, as they respond to this. May your voice be the one that's heard. Come and have your way, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.